0: This is where scientists, philosophers, New Agers, and spiritualists come together to discuss where this world may be heading. Now here's your host, lawyer, philosopher, and the author of The Collapse of Materialism, Philip Camella. Now one thing I think a lot about is that there should be a new class taught in the universities alongside the typical Science, Philosophy, and even Religious courses. The class Would be called something like New Paradigms, or If I may borrow my own show Topics Beyond Science and Religion Or even just call it New Ideas The course would focus on The flaws of science The weaknesses of current theories Including those of religion Mm -hmm. And philosophy, and it would Strive for open-mindedness And take nothing on faith And I think, above all, perhaps it would apply with with rigor the logical fallacy that we tend to forget about in science and religion, and that logical fallacy is appeal to authority. We rely upon authority figures to answer the big questions for us, in many cases without questioning the underlying theory or ideas, and my example here would be Darwin and Einstein, Uh, I think that both of them are held up as really the gods of science. In many cases, they are correct. Their theories are correct. They deserve some attention. But in all too many instances, I think that their theories are considered true because of their stature, as opposed to the underlying facts or reasoning that supports the theory. So in this Imaginary course, and for all I know there could be a course out there that I just don't know about, but in this imaginary course there would be a bunch of curriculum, uh, there would be a bunch of books that would be from leading thinkers, but not necessarily professors or scientists. And this course and these books would give a voice to those who today are questioning ingrained ideas, but are shunted off as being outside the mainstream. Now I've made a short list of some books that I would add to the curriculum, and and here are some of them. There'd be Rupert Sheldrake's The Science Delusion, also known as Science Set Free, Biocentrism by Robert Lanza, my lovely book, The Collapse of Materialism, I, I can't help but do that on my own show, uh, Dean Radin's The Conscious Universe, I think that The Future of the Body is a great book, it's an older book, but it's a fantastic book, The Autobiography of a Yoga Ken Wilbur, his no, no Boundary book, I think that was his first book, is an amazing book. I would probably add in Berkeley's Principles of Human Knowledge, Descartes' Meditations, and I would add another book that was written by today's guest. His name is John Hans, and the book is called Sapiens. Now, this is an amazing contribution to the field of open scientific inquiry. It's a big book. It's a education uh, in between covers. You, reading it, uh, one not only understands and gets exposed to new ideas, but it's also extremely educational. Now, and we're going to be covering some parts of this book on today's show. It, it's There's no way we could do it on one show, and I'm I haven't told John yet, but I'm going to try to convince him to come back, even though we haven't started yet. Uh, now, John Hands is joining us from the United Kingdom. It, it's London, John. Are you in London right you now? Got a lovely sunny afternoon in London. Great. Okay. Now, he missed Now, John has devoted more than 10 years to evaluating scientific theories about human evolution from the origin of the universe going forward. He's got a degree from the University of London. He's published two research studies and one book in social Sciences and he 's tutored in both physics and management studies for for the open University and was Royal Fun Fellow at the University College of London. Now one thing that you 'll note from my short summary of his biography is that he is not an orthodox scientist he is as far as I can tell uh, john you you 're not what I would call you 're not a professor a, a professor of physics you haven 't written in Scientific American. Uh, you don't teach these topics and i think this is what makes this book so refreshing and so original so once again john thank you a lot for joining us sorry for my long-winded introduction but i think that we have to set the context here so first of all this book which uh is long very readable The, the 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 first question here is what was your inspiration for doing this project
1: Well, Philip, Uh, after my wife died from cancer, I began to ask myself, what are we? Where do we come from? Why do we exist? Now, these are questions that humans have been asking for at least 25,000 years. Uh, During all of that time, we've sought answers from the supernatural. About 3,000 years ago, however, we began to seek answers through philosophical reasoning and insight. Then, around 150 years ago, we began to seek answers through science, through systematic, preferably measurable observation or experiment. As a science graduate and former tutor in physics for the Open University, I wanted to find out what answers science currently gives. But I couldn't find any book that did so. Now, there are two reasons for this, Philip. First, the exponential increase in empirical data generated by rapid developments in technology has resulted in the branching of science into increasingly narrow specialized fields. I wanted to step back from the focus of one leaf on one branch and see what the whole tree shows us about how we evolved from the origin of the universe. (laughs) Second, most science books advocate a particular theory and often present it as fact. But scientific explanations change as new data is obtained and new thinking develops. And so I decided to write the book that hadn't been written, an impartial evaluation, as far as possible, of the current theories. Part one would consider the scientific explanations of the emergence and evolution of the matter and energy of which we ultimately consist. Part two would do the same for the emergence and evolution of life, because we are living matter. Part three would cover the emergence and evolution of humans. And in part four, I would see if there are any consistent patterns in the empirical evidence from which to obtain fundamental answers. I have to say, Philip, that when my friends wanted to be supportive, they said, John, that's ambitious. When they wanted to be realistic, they said, "John, that's mad." <laughs> in my in my saner moments, I agreed with the latter. Yeah, yeah. As you said, the book took more than ten years to research and write, but the conclusions I reached surprise me.
0: Well, uh, okay. So let me. Okay, so let's 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 pause here for a second, and I want to sort of say that you know as a as somebody that has a degree in philosophy and and i I went to a very open minded college here Beloit college that one thing that strikes me about your book and about philosophy and science together is it was Aristotle or Socrates, one of the two who says that philosophy begins in wonder, and that's always been an inspiration to to me and w- the way i was reading your book and it's similar well it there's similar books that are uh, like this although i would say that yours is a modern version of that old philosophical aspiration uh to understand the world from the ground up with our current form of thinking Oh, or yeah, with our with our with our current knowledge, and it's something that needs to be done more often. One of the things that really comes across to me in my notes, I I wrote down, and this is a blog that I have that's under construction right now. It's it's the cushion of belief, and I think that all of us need to believe in something, and that's part of the the issue we have. And I I, I noted in the beginning about the appeal to. The appeal to authority. It could also be called the default viewpoints, where we know we all have to believe in something, so many of us don't give the thought to questioning those beliefs, so we wind up going to church, following the latest news on the Big Bang, uh, Darwinian evolution, and we sort of categorize all these things, and we get on with our life trying to put food on the table. And it takes courage and, of course, a lot of time to sort of start from the the beginning and and reevaluate the very belief systems that we have uh, adopted. And so I I locked so that's one of the beauties of your book Co- Cosmos Sapiens is that I viewed it as sort of an attempt by a open-minded thinker to sort of Go through think through these ideas himself now is that is that accurate the way i 've
1: uh, yes, absolutely um, I, any approach is conditioned by prior beliefs I, I was uh, <clears throat> born and educated a Catholic, um, became an atheist, and i'm um, now an agnostic. Um, I began this book of genuinely, I do not know, and I wanted to keep an open mind and evaluate science's current explanations um, with an open mind and that as you said Philip meant looking not only at what was presented but at the underlying assumptions underpinning many of these things Um, and I mean for example I had assumed that... i I planned only two chapters on the emergence and evolution of matter, because I had assumed that the Big Bang was well-established science. Now, those two chapters developed into nine, because the more I investigated, the more I discovered that the Big Bang theory was contradicted by observational evidence. Now, cosmologists continually change this theory, as more sophisticated observations and experiments produce yet more contradictions with the theory. Cosmologists call the latest version the concordance model. I think it's more accurately described as the inflationary before or after the hot big bang, <laughs> unknown dark matter, unknown dark energy model.
0: Yeah, I like that. Um, yeah, yeah. It's it's amazing to me the way so many people don't pay attention to these theories. Now let's and let's focus on this for a second because to me, unless there is an explanation for the origin of matter and I get I could also say the origin of order or natural law, then the rest then any theory based upon that assumption has to be put in the provisional category. Absolutely and, and, and so but this is something that science itself, and i and I really mean the the orthodox science has forgotten about and so let's let's talk about how you sort of began to unwrap the big bang was there like a uh an, an a eureka moment or some or some stage in your evaluation where you said to yourself maybe this this isn't quite as 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 well founded as i was led to believe was there was there something no. that went off in
1: your head there was no particular eureka moment um i science distinguishes itself from um, other forms of inquiry by having um, testable uh, through systematic probably measurable observation on repeatable experiments. So it's it's, it's, it's empirical. That's why it's different from philosophy and religious belief. So I wanted to look at what was the evidence and when I looked at the evidence for the Big Bang, as I said, um, it was contradicted by observational and experimental evidence and so cosmologists continually change this theory. Now, It invokes dark matter, the current theory, to account for 27% of the universe. 30 years of scientific investigation have failed to identify this dark dark matter. It invokes a mysterious anti-gravity dark energy to account for 68% of the universe and to change the universe from a gradually decelerating expansion to a rapidly accelerating expansion after two-thirds of its life. 20 years of investigation have failed to identify the nature of this dark energy more significantly Philip its central axiom that the universe inflated at a trillion 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 times the speed of light in a trillion 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 to the second is untestable hence it is not scientific
0: yeah yeah I, I okay so this is this is music to my ears uh, and let's let's be specific here by contradiction of observational evidence do you what do you mean
1: i mean that um i i, I the, the problem is trying to condense in you know, a 700 page book in,
0: in no no i mean i mean for example for example exactly. there, there's the homogeneity the isotropic there's the yeah. flatness there's
1: the horizon the flatness, is that what exactly, you're talking about exactly. exactly yeah 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 yeah, yeah. 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 and All these contradictory but And crucially, neither the current orthodox model nor any competing model provides a rational explanation of how the matter and energy of the universe, of which we ultimately consist, burst into existence out of nothing. Right, right. Now the problem arises because these cosmological theories are mathematical models. They're simplified solutions of Einstein's field equations of general relativity applied to the universe. But they are based on assumptions that the latest observations show to be invalid. I mean, for example, based on the assumption that the universe is hom- homogeneous, and yet every single um, field survey of the sky has shown objects as large as the survey itself, and and the, and the latest one has shown a massive object, um, more than eleven billion years light years across, it absolutely knocks into a cock, cocked hat the assumption that the universe is homogeneous. So, we've actually got to look at these theories, and, and, and cosmologists aren't looking at the underpinning assumptions.
0: Yeah, I, yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I think that the inflationary theory, which we could uh, describe in a little bit more detail here, is is the most ridiculous theory ever, well, I'm going to say it's the most ridiculous theory ever devised right up there with the multiverse uh, and maybe string theory. But the inflationary theory, I think, takes the cake because it is so obviously a mathematical contrivance. And even in Alan Guth's book, The Inflationary Universe, and uh, you know, when I was listening to books in the beginning there, there'd be a bunch of uh, excerpts, at least, from these other leading books. In Alan Guth, who is credited with one of the with with being one of the originators of the inflationary big bang even in his book he calls it a mathematical contrivance and i yeah. think that's something that you really you really honed in on and and the public the Ameri- the 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 public the reading public the thinking public has should really be informed that that these theories are really Mathematical models, really computer-generated models, that don't necessarily, in fact, in my opinion, have no connection to reality. And you know, the inflationary big bang, uh, as you as you point out, it was really is really a, sort of a post hoc attempt to explain away the flatness problem and the homogeneity problem. I mean, yeah, it, absolutely. It, right, it, oh, and, and the horizon problem. I mean, and for those who are wondering what those are, um, I'll let I'll, I'll let you I'll let you describe it. But it it is any any thinking person who says, let's see now, we have these two problems which tend to show that there's a balance in the universe that the uh, that the universe is sort of is, um sort of balance between the accelerating and the decelerating forces, gravity and the expansion force isn't it isn't that strange and the way science deals with that is to imagine that there was this uh, uh, exponential expansion in the beginning of it all that just so happened to accelerate the universe so it's flat i mean it's and it it makes me you know in my notes and then I'll, i'll stop here my notes i have this my concern right now john is that science has made this all so confusing and esoteric that that unraveling it, unraveling the story, is is a very difficult task.
1: Well, I I, I hope. This is why the book is so long, because I've taken each of these things, like the homogeneity, the flatness problem, and so on, and I've put in what I hope is um, accessible to the ordinary person explanations of each of these problems and how the inflation theory came up or or several versions of it came up. I mean, there are multiple versions of inflation theory. The last count I did, there were 156. (laughs) Um, And just Mm. to try and explain all these um, failures to... um, be consistent with the observational evidence. Now, I'm I I'm not saying that you know one of these things may not be right, but what I am saying is it's not science, and to claim it is science, that to claim it is testable, reproducible, um, it, it, it is absolutely nonsense. And so, so many people. The other thing, you're right about, you know, the, the authority figure that that you mentioned i um l- let me tell you before. I had lunch with um a very senior high level um cosmologist in the u k uh very high and he he noted that i'd written three novels and so he proceeded to give his His critiques of modern English literature, which was fine by me, that was great. Why shouldn't he? And I said, fine. That's. I said, could you do me a favour? I said I've written a draft chapter um, on on cosmology, and could you could you could I send it to you? And can you check it for errors of fact, omission, um, false conclusions, anything else? And he said, sure, I'll do that. And um, then he emailed me back um, about five days later saying, I'm not prepared to um, give credence to an attack on cosmology.
0: Hmm.
1: Um, And somebody who hasn't studied cosmology in its full mathematical depth for 30 years is in no position to offer a critique of it. Right. Yep. Um, so I said oh fine okay but if you notice what I said I've actually quoted people who have spent this time cosmology actually physical astronomers who have come to a different conclusion than you and these are highly respected people and he, and, he, he, and I quoted their names and he said they've got no credibility in in, in cosmology yeah now, one of those persons had been given the Royal Society's gold medal two years pr- prior to that conversation. Yeah. And so you get this authoritative um, sort of view. A- a- another cosmologist I-, I-, I went to see and, and said, and he explained, and he said, no, they're all wrong. I said, fine, Right. But but why are they wrong? What have they said in their papers that is wrong? He said, "Oh, I haven't read them. <laughs> I said, well, how on earth can you say they're wrong Yeah. you haven't read them? Yeah. And he said, well, you've got to understand, John, uh, in our discipline, th- th- there are perhaps only six people or less who are the recognized authorities in this field. And, you know, we accept, you know, what they say. And I I, I left feeling I'd I'd come away from meeting a bishop of orthodoxy who bows to the infallible pronouncements of, you know, six other cosmologists regarded as authority figures.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. It's that's,
1: lack of questioning.
0: That's really, I mean, that that is something that I think is very much needed, and you really made a lot of advances in that. I mean, in my own in my own book, i i i call it I call it a belief system. It really, it, there's not a big difference between belief systems of religion and and the belief systems of science. Some of them. Science and and here here to me, in some ways the scientific belief systems are worse because they lead people to think that they're authoritative, that it's the truth, that it's the fact. I mean, one of the reasons I'm reading um, the book that I mentioned before the show, Sean Carroll's "The Particle at the End of the Universe," which is about the Higgs boson or the God particle, is because uh, Mr. Carroll, who uh, does a show or two for The Teaching Company, which is a very well-done sort of educational video series. He he uses the word fact and theory, I'm, I'm sorry, fact and truth, sort of willy-nilly, as if these, these principles, inflation, uh, the multiverse, the Higgs boson, that they are established fact. And to me, John, I don't know whether... Uh, the reading the thinking public has really has has really absorbed how how much misrepresentation is really uh, contained within the way science is approaching this in other words they're using the authority of science to drill into our brains the facts of science such as inflationary big bang with with knowing. That it's not established, and 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 let me and let me just be clear. I have a leading uh, astronomy textbook that I use for my own book. Uh, I forget who who wrote it, but it's a heck of a good textbook. And they they teach inflationary big bang as being the the uh, origin of the universe. It's in the textbooks. Yeah, you know. But- so so I I'm pretty radical on this, mm. but. Uh, but I, I, it was nice reading a book that really got into this point here about the um, the fact that many scientific theories devolve into um, orthodox belief systems.
1: Well, one thing I, 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 I'd like to say is is that um, that the what I found is that the best minds in science aren't like that and um, the book um, you'll see in the open pages has got endorsements from 12 leading scientists and philosophers and these were the best people including Paul Steinhardt who's Albert Einstein Professor in Science at Princeton University you can't get a more prestigious uh, post than that and um, Paul Steinite was originally um, one of the people who developed, you know, a version of inflation theory. But he, instead of sticking blindly to it, um, had that mind, and he came and looked at it again, and they came to the conclusion that he had been wrong. Right. Now there are very few scientists. Um, scientists are no different than you or I they've got their own insecurities ambitions and so on um, but the very best minds say um, so, well I thought this some time ago but I've looked at the evidence again and it is no longer the case this is how it moves on but what happens, what you've described is what Thomas Kuhn called the creation of, of, of the paradigm right when everything within that set of assumptions is is taken as as true and the weight of evidence builds up against it the, defend, the, the defenders of that uh, of that paradigm either ignore the evidence or dismiss it or reject it and uh, they resist it and they re- they've been resisting it um for a time I mean, in in physics this happened when um Niels Bohr was told um frankly Niels don't do physics, we know everything there is to be known. it's all you know Newton's theory, so do something where you can be more original right we'll think- um, and thank goodness you know Niels Bohr rejected that in uh, uh, that Advice and created the new paradigm or uh, help create a new paradigm of of, of quantum physics, yeah. but this yeah. is what happens eventually the weight the, the, the weight of evidence against the existing paradigm overwhelms it, and the paradigm collapses so that 's the same happening in geology when the the thinking that what accounted for um, valleys and mountains and seas and so on, was sort of just shrinkage. And the idea of what we now know as tectonic plates was dismissed as absolute nonsense. But the overwhelming weight of evidence came up and the, and the, the former paradigm collapsed. And I do think that the, the current paradigm of cosmology, that the, the weight of evidence is building up against it. And I also say that the current paradigm of neo-Darwinism, the weight of evidence there. Um, y- you were quite flattering about Charles Darwin, and I went into Darwinian theory and neo-Darwinian theory uh, in great depth, and the weight of evidence is actually wrong. But yeah. yeah. What? I- what Darwinian competition causes is the extinction of species. There's not one bit of evidence that shows that Darwinian competition causes the evolution of species. Yeah. Quite reversed. What what does cause the evolution of species is collaboration, not competition.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. This is Philip Camello. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. I'm happy to be talking to john hands the author of the amazing book cosmos sapiens human evolution from the origin of the universe a true contribution to open-minded scientific examination and we're talking a little bit here about cosmology and we just sort of mentioned darwin and you're right you're right john i i think i was overly flattering of uh Of Charles Darwin, if you read my book, I'm actually, I actually think he was completely wrong. Um, I do think Origin of the Species is a great book. It's very well written. It's it's a classic of science. And one of the things that I think we're dealing with here, and I'll use Origin of the Species as an example, is that when that book came out, I, I think that religion was was more accepted it was more hard hard um, headed uh, it was more literal and I think that science was fighting uh more against an opponent that wasn't thinking through uh, their conclusions uh, i e the conclusion that was uh, that was the religious uh, finding then was simply that god miraculously waved his hand and uh, and popped out all these species upon the earth as if as if they were lowered down from the sky on some kind of stage setting and so darwin comes up with this this theory to explain the origin of species although he really never did explain the origin of species but at least to me at least it was showing humankind thinking through these things now i I said before that if you don't explain the origin of matter or order for that matter, um, which you call the elephant in the room for for that, and I want to talk about that, then any theory based upon the origin of matter must be considered to be provisional. And I would say the same thing about Darwinian evolution or neo-Darwinian evolution, which which is until... Physical scientists or materialistic scientists explain the origin of life or how life could have popped out of a swamp then then the the whole Darwinian theory must be considered to be provisional that's my that's my feeling uh and I know that in your book you at the end the end and one of your conclusions is that you doubt whether um biologists will explain the origin of life in the same way that uh, that uh, f- that physicists will not explain the origin of matter so let's let's talk about Darwin here a little bit y- you you do a great job of emphasizing the collaborative nature uh, of evolution, and you also use this word reflective or self reflective evolution uh let's let's talk about this for a little bit um so what what are your main um Criticisms of the way Neo Darwinianism is presented in in the schools and through the media?
1: Um, Neo Darwinism, uh, uh, as you know, is um, an updated version of of Darwin when the competition is uh, not between individual members of species um, but between. Uh, genes. I mean, it was popularized by Richard Dawkins in Selfish yeah. Gene*. Yeah.
0: Right. But,
1: yeah. um, but that rests upon um, competition, and it rests upon Darwinian gradualism. It, it, it took Darwinian gradualism uh, and competition, uh, but then transposed that to genes because Darwin couldn't explain the inheritance, uh, and then then Mendel did, and so they incorporated that. But What the neo-Darwinians produced were mathematical models like cosmologists and as proof they borrowed um, 1950s economics models as their proof. And they gradually became to believe that their particular mechanism was synonymous with biological evolution and when I've questioned the basis for it and presented um, the experimental evidence which showed um, a contradiction with the neo-Darwinian mathematical model, um, I was dismissed as being a creationist. Yeah. And so I had to... <laughs> Yeah. Well, right, people, and say before I begin, let me make it clear. You know, I am not a believer in creationism or intelligent design, and so on and so forth. Yeah. Now, can we get on with it? Uh, uh, approach it scientifically, and uh, and it's, it's. I had one guy. I I, I sent the uh, a draft chapter to. Um, an evolutionary biologist and said, as I did with, with, with all my drafts, you know, please correct for errors of fact, omission, unreasonable conclusions, or anything else. And he said, he replied, I have not read beyond your first sentence. <laughs> um. Yeah. yeah. Well, that it, it, that it,
0: that sure is open-minded scientists, isn't it? I mean, I, that that's un- it's unbelievable to me. But but I'm sorry. Go ahead. That's really amazing. I, I, I
1: said but, but the first scientist. Well, the, the first sentence was that, um, that, that, that that science hasn't investigated the phenomenon of biological evolution in recent years. And the second sentence was what it has done is investigated the neo-Darwinian mechanism, and so on. And he wrote back, "I've not." Re- read beyond your first sentence. Um, you should know that, you know, you, you, you should read this, and he quoted me a 1986 textbook uh, and, or any undergraduate textbook and, 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 you know, know what you're talking about. If he'd read the second sentence, he would he'd actually shown that. If, he, if, he'd, if he'd read the fourth sentence, he would, <laughs> he, he would have seen... I questioned the undergraduate textbooks, you know. I'd actually had read all these things. And I wrote back and said, well, actually, please read, you know, second and third and fourth sentences. <laughs> I, got, I, I, got, I got no reply. Yeah well i mean that that's that i just
0: want to uh complete this point here which is there is this i have seen a knee jerk reaction to anybody that criticizes Darwinianism as being a creationist or an intelligent designer and i think this this is something that i don't know how long it's going to take to break out of this but but one one approach i always take is that uh, folks, that the answer to the universe is not necessarily a multiple-choice exam with two answers, and so if, if one answer is Darwin and the other answer is creationism, I think that is completely naive, and and it's it's because the Darwinians of the world, such as Dawkins and and that, and those guys, they just it, it's sort of like a, a whipping boy or rag doll that they they have all this fun just banging around creationism as if that's the only opponent out there or that's the only alternative theory and i mean you you talk about michael behe and i had i've had michael behe on the show and by the way i've had paul steinhardt on the show which i could mention i could mention later but but this guy is not a a, a uh a, a fly-by-night or a or a uh you know a lightweight I mean, he, he really, it, it, in Darwin's black box, he presents some compelling arguments on why evolution, according to the Darwin model, doesn't explain certain um, organisms. And I can't remember exactly what they are. But at the end of his book, he says, he says at the end of the beginning, he says that he's not advocating the God of the Bible, he's 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 essentially raising questions about whether Darwin is a complete explanation and and so i and i don't know what if if you saw this phenomenon john but i've seen it on the show and books where there's there might be a third answer or a fourth alternative as opposed that that is between darwin and creationism and it's it's sort of like we're never going to find that if, if, as you point out, the leading thinkers don't even read the book, <laughs> don't even don't even
1: consider the new theory. I think they're shooting themselves in the foot, Philip, because yeah. what they're doing, by ignoring or dismissing empirical evidence which contradicts neo-Darwinism, they're actually giving ammunition to creationists. Yeah. Who can then come back and say you're, you you're rejecting evidence uh i think it's i think it's so self defeating mm-hmm. um but it, but it is this question of of, of 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 paradigms, and yes, i mean let's take the view that when neo Darwinism was first developed, and we're talking over sixty years ago um it answered. What was then known, but science isn't static; it moves on, and the best minds accept that.
0: Yeah. It's yeah.
1: only the limited minds who can't move on from the existing uh, or, 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 or the the current paradigm, Um and it is. Uh, I mean, the, the the selfish gene is. Uh, that I, I richard dawkins is actually attributing intention to lens of an acid yeah the oxyribonucleic acid of uh, which genes are composed yeah, yeah. W- which is a nonsense but also there is you know there is now very strong genomic genetic and behavioral evidence contradicting the whole idea but whenever he's presented with that instead of modifying his theory as a scientist should do in the light of contradiction evidence he just says well genes must have misfired
0: yeah 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 and i i have um i mean first of all richard dawkins is a very good writer very entertaining but one of the things that um you you point out in your book that uh, that i also um get into a little bit in my book is that a lot of these Neo-Darwinians uh, of the Dawkins vein—they they write in metaphors, and they—if and you actually look at the metaphors, um, there some are listed in my book. You know the uh, the blind wa- the blind watchmaker is one of them. Another title of this book, and then there's the engineer and and the um, computer program. They're using these metaphors, which imply an intelligent designer and without calling it an intelligent designer. And, and that's one of my criticisms of Darwin, of natural selection, because natural selection is a loaded term. Uh, in Origin of the Species, which I'm sure you've read, Darwin sort of came up with this idea by comparing it to artificial selection, which is where farmers or livestock uh, raisers, they... they uh, they sort of breed faster horses or fatter cows or whatever, and you know they they, intellig- they they intentionally put together the fattest cows to breed fatter cows, which is clearly intentionally directed by an intelligence so my my point with natural selection is who is doing the the selecting where is who's who who's the selector and yeah. and to say that survival that they that he or she who survives is is going to make it to the next generation well that to me that is very vacuous i don't understand how mere survival creates a giraffe or a zebra or all the millions of species so so i think that there's you know i think that's a problem with uh, Dawkins and, and a lot of the writers you know his one of his last books is called The Magic of Reality and that's very you know where he stands in wonder at the magic of reality and has all these religious type experiences without calling them that at the end of this book he says something like he hasn't really considered quantum theory he's not interested in it and I'm thinking you know how can you how can you do science without without understanding how quantum theory fits into the whole thing. So in any event, there there's a lot here and and it's um it's a it's a function of to me hard-headedness. Uh I haven't quite put my finger on what if there's a I'm sure there's a sociological issue here, a psychological issue. Um but 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 let me ask you the question. Why do you what do you expl- what what is the reason why we have the, this hard-headedness in science.
1: I think, as I said, it, 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 it's that scientists are no more are no different yeah. than any any one of us. Yeah, yeah. They've got their own insecurities, their own ambitions, and so on. And to put science, scientists on a pedestal and assume that they're different is is, is, is wrong. Uh, is not the case. Um, so I, I think you know that is the reason that the it, it has developed. I mean, once you get these two or three leaders in a field, then they be, they gain positions of power. They gain positions of power in universities. Um, they, they teach the apprentices in their specific discipline they 're on committees which decide which research projects it grants they 're on committees decide which research papers are published and so they create as I said, what Thomas Kuhn called the paradigm and they 're very reluctant to accept that they may be wrong. Um, Nobody likes being told they're wrong, and scientists are no different than anyone else. It takes a big person, you know, to say, "Hey, I was wrong," right, right, I, or, or may, "I was right at this, I was right given the knowledge at the time." Right, but yeah. now we've got more evidence, and this ex, this new evidence actually contradicts it. So I need to look again. Yeah. And yeah. And you I think get people like, like Edward O. Wilson, who did that. I mean, he was a father of social biology, and he thought explaining, co- I mean, co- cooperation. It, 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 you'll see in the book that I argue uh, on evidence based that it is uh, collaboration in its various forms which have caused the evolution of species, not competition. Um, but you know, in in order to, to do this. Um, you need to. Um, sorry, I, I, I just lost, lost my track here. I, I, I was saying that in order to do this,
0: um well, well, you have to be open-minded, and you have, and you have to. I mean, one of my issues, John, and I, I write about this, and and I think it's yeah, it's in it's in it's in my book, and I have it's in some of my blogs or writings, which is that science has confused the scientific method with the content of science. Nobody will argue, including me, that the scientific method is not the best way to find truth. There's no doubt about it. Absolutely. The, the I agree. problem, I mean, the, and that is really the distinction between religion and science. In that religion takes things on faith, and science is supposed is like Missouri in the US. It's the show me field. Sh- you know, show me the evidence, show me the reasons. But what ha- has happened, I think is that uh, modern science has conflated the two and said that science is really the assembly of theories that we have come up with using various assumptions. And they don't really tell you all their assumptions. And so the assumptions are put to the side. Assumptions, for example, Big Bang, that a, a, what, 10 to the 80th power of atoms were condensed into a singularity at the big bang and its unknown force exploded that's an assumption what was the driving force what how did life arise from a swamp where did where did the laws of physics come from how did, how did organisms organize themselves all these things they're given names self-organization principle the big bang the inflationary theory the higgs boson they're given names dark energy dark matter go on and on and on and they're considered to be part of of the of science but but they are really the result of applying a scientific method after science has uh, has made these unquestioned assumptions <laughs> so so that's the way I've been looking at it that there that we, we have conflated the two and what you do and what I what what my thing is, is that I think we need to apply the scientific method to not only religion but to the science but to science itself, to the scientific beliefs, and, and I think that's exactly what particularly in cosmology, you know you do that, and of course in biology and evolution as well?
1: I think I put it a slightly different way okay. uh, I, I, I would say that the problem isn't with science, the problem is with scientists not adopting a scientific method.
0: Yeah. yeah, I like that. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. And, and you and know, go ahead, go ahead. To
1: state that these are beliefs is, is not what science is about. Science isn't about beliefs. Science is about testing the evidence to come up with a theory that accounts for the evidence at the time, and which theory will then be adjusted or rejected if contrad- and supplanted by a new theory, that that encompasses evidence that contradicts the old theory, yep. so this yep. is the scientific method. This is the right way forward. It's the scientists who aren't practicing that, and and they've become into this this this, this belief system, um, which is is not science.
0: You know, I go I go back to, and I don't know. Um, there's a book by um, George Gaylord Simpson, who's one of the early neo-Darwinians, neo-Darwinians. Uh, I think it's called The Meaning of Evolution, and he's got a line in there that I've used, and it's it's something like that um, science has to assume an a independent material reality in order to practice science and science proceeds as if that assumption is true that there's independent material reality because it, he says something like because he can't think of how science could even work without that assumption and and frankly I think that that is part of the problem and that is scientists are assuming that in order to f- practice science they have to remove the observer from what they're viewing like a specimen and then that leads to well we're, uh, d- doesn't quantum theory say exactly the opposite <laughs> you know we haven't had ch- chance to talk about quantum oh. theory but i i continue to think that scientists have not completely incorporated the findings of quantum theory into their own theories
1: oh i mean th- th- that's absolutely th- th- the case um no i i i couldn't agree more on that um, and w- w- we haven't talked about and w- w- what i'd like to do uh, i enjoy this conversation uh, and maybe if you want we have another one uh, about consciousness um, yeah. about self reflective consciousness um, as a, as a cosmic process yeah. a, a, as a result of of a cosmic process yeah yeah um but this is this is where I argue that there are there are actually differences in kind. That just as there are a difference in kind between inanimate, inanimate matter like a rock and living things like bacteria, uh, so there is a difference in kind between living things and humans, which uniquely possess self-reflective consciousness, and we we haven't time right now to um, go into all the reasons why it's in the book. Um, But um, I think this is so important that we actually look at the evidence. And when I say that I think it's... That scientists will never be able to explain how life emerged on Earth. That is because the evidence has actually been destroyed uh, by geological processes. Um, so we've got, we have no. Remains. We, we can't track back to the first life form on Earth. They've all been destroyed by geological processes of, of subduction. Um, so that has to be an area where, you know, accepting the limitations of science. And, and there's one chapter in my book called The Limitations of Science. Uh, and one of the limitations is where evidence has been destroyed. Um, the other limitations that, that, that you mentioned um, earlier, um, Philip, are, are, are that... It is predicated on science, uh, um, obeying physical and chemical laws, but science of itself cannot explain where those physical and chemical laws come from. Right. This, right. Th- 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 this is metaphysics, right, not, right. not not science. So that is an, obvi- an, an obvious limitation. Uh, science is about th- the objective, repeatable experiments, but science. Well, science, neuroscientists can tell you, um, and maybe in the future, they will tell you exactly which, which neurons are being active when, when you are doing something. Uh, what they cannot reproduce is the, the, your subjective experience of that thing.
0: Yeah, I think that consciousness is is the big is a big one right now, and I have. I mean, we are we are coming to the the end here, and I would love to have you back because I was afraid this was going to happen. There's so much to cover, not only you know, and in, in your book and the topics that arise from your book, but we. If you think about the mysteries out there, uh, I I list. There's, to me, four incredible mysteries. One of them is the origin of matter, the origin of life, the origin of law, of physical scientific laws, and then the origin of consciousness. And I have a funny feeling that the that the answer is all connected. But science, to me, the way it's practiced, it because it tends to assume the truth to their physical answers, i.e., I, I just got done, I'm, I'm reading a, a issue of New Scientist right now, and uh, for those who want to subscribe to a, um, a, bo- a magazine that keeps track of n- new scientific theories, it's a good one. But one of the things that I just wrote down in my notes from the, a new issue of New Scientist is that here it is. Today, it is widely accepted that our brains give rise to consciousness. This is the newest issue of News. It's widely accepted that our brain, and, and this is known as the hard problem of consciousness. Right? I mean, this is not. This is like a problem that's not been solved. But this guy's writing, oh, it's widely accepted. Well, that's nice. It's nice that it's widely accepted. Well, how exactly did that happen? So we have a lot to cover. Uh, and uh, we've had a lot to cover. We've we've covered a lot of ground. I want to. Quickly, um, this is going to be unfair, but for someone who went on this quest, this journey that you went on in your book, john uh, you you end up with a conclusion and I'm going to read it here. The conclusion is we are the unfinished product of an accelerating cosmic evolutionary process characterized by collaboration, complexification, and convergence. And the self-reflected agents of our future evolution. And the question is: Are you, are you happy with your conclusion after after this quest? Yes. Okay.
1: Yes. Uh, I I am happy um, with that conclusion, and I'm. currently take, taking it forward in that the Cosmos Sapiens deals with human evolution from the origin of the cosmos right up to the present day. Um, it, 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 it covers right up to scientific knowledge of at, 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 at 2015. Um, but now I'm working on projecting to the future, uh, looking at the pattern that the evidence shows, or well, where will this lead us in the future?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. That's sort of. I think. I think that's the exciting part of it. And you know, we talked about um, Thomas Kuhn's The Structure of Scientific Revolutions, which I, I talk about about every other show. And it's sort of like when you read that book, and you know, particularly the first chapter or so, it it's almost a narrative for what we're going through in science right now. <laughs> the whole <laughs> the whole thing, you know, the 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 one point that in that book that. Is a takeaway which is that when the leading scientific theory fails to explain existing phenomena, and those failures mount up, it's time for a new paradigm to take over. And right now we have scientists sort of manning the walls, protecting the citadel, uh, protecting the castle of, of materialistic science. I think, and uh, hopefully there'll be a new theory that'll come up, and. Uh, break down the walls. Now, uh, John, uh, we, we, we could talk about uh, the next show, but we have quickly come to the end, and we've covered a lot of ground. I know we haven't covered everything, which would be impossible, but is there anything that, that you would like to add to this discussion for the listener uh, in, in light of what we've talked about? Is there a, something that I cut you off on or something that you'd like to add? before we um, conclude?
1: No, I, I, I would simply emphasize that um, although Cosmo Sapiens is a long book, um, it is accessibly um, written mm-hmm. and Although we've talked about things and given conclusions, I actually give the evidence in that book. So I've adopted a scientific approach to the problem, and the evidence is there. If the readers want to read all the evidence, they can skip to the end of the chapter where I summarize the conclusions I've reached in that chapter. Um... But um, what you said about, the, you know, the short answer to the question is that uniquely, as far as we know, we're the unfreduced product of an accelerating cosmic evolutionary process characters by, characterized by collaboration, complexification, and convergence, and we are uniquely the self-reflective agents of our own future evolution. Um, yes, I am happy with that conclusion.
0: Yeah, and, and again, uh, John was exactly right. This, this book is accessible, it is no longer than a lot of novels the people are are reading out there and it is it's it's a uh it is a fountain of of education and uh and really rigorous thinking and so i i highly recommend it and the one point that i will add here at the end is that when you put this together John i i think that uh, to me, consciousness rises in, in conformity with nature. And we sort of give snapshots of our understanding. Humankind gives gives snapshots of their understanding of the world through time. And it's really a remarkable picture you get if you sort of view view science or philosophy or even, well, I don't want to conclude religion right now but philosophy and science in that in that vein and so i i would bet you that in 10 years your next year whatever book you'll be on by then you'll you'll have a different conclusion because because consciousness to me rises and of course that is a topic for another conversation this is philip Camella. this is conversations beyond science and religion john thank you very much again his book is cosmos sapiens Uh, human evolution from the origin of the universe. My name is Philip Camella. My website is The Collapse of Materialism, and that's the name of my book as well. Hope to see you on the next show. Take care.
1: It's been a great pleasure.
0: Thank you. been listening to conversations beyond science and religion hosted by philip Camella. to find out more about philip and his book the collapse of
1: materialism visit the